A quick note of thanks to Swamp Rat and Scattered Frog for the really nice written reviews of the podcast. It means a lot to me. If you'd like to leave a review but aren't sure how, go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash Chicago History Pod for convenient links. I'll also have that page in the show's notes. Before we get started today, I feel I should mention this episode deals with suicide. Please listen accordingly. If you are in the United States and are in suicidal crisis or emotional distress, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support via a toll-free hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Please get help if you need it. And now. Lincoln Park once had a lagoon that was so wide, a high bridge which rose 75 feet over the water was built for pedestrian traffic. For as much appeal to parkgoers as the big, beautiful bridge had, it also had a dark appeal, quickly earning it the dubious name Suicide Bridge. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. A little background. In the mid to late 1800s, Lincoln Park looked a whole lot different. Not just the still developing neighborhoods in the area, but the largely undeveloped area between North Avenue and Fullerton Avenue. Much of the 120 acres of land was primarily used as a cemetery from the 1840s all the way up until the last burial in 1866. The unused portion of the land was called Lake Park and wasn't renamed Lincoln Park until 1865 after Abraham Lincoln's assassination. The first efforts toward the formation of the park came on January 10, 1860, when a group of Northside citizens petitioned that the 60-acre area between Menominee Street and Webster Avenue be set aside for park purposes. The Lincoln Park Zoo opened in 1868 with a donation of a pair of swans from the collection at New York's Central Park, and the shoreline off Lake Michigan was filled in and stabilized for use. Construction of the Lakeshore Drive just to the east of the park was begun on May 10, 1870. Gradually, graves from the cemetery were relocated to sites to the north, And with the addition of artificial ponds, greenery, statues, walkways, and other cosmetic additions, the park started to become what Chicagoans and visitors to the area know as Lincoln Park today. Lincoln Park's South Lagoon still visible today, albeit smaller, from Lakeshore Drive starting at about 1900 North and going to Fullerton Avenue, was considerably wider before progress changed its outlines, so wide that in 1893, a sightseeing iron bridge was built to cross it. Referred to as the High Bridge, the general public seemed to like it. At that height, and with downtown buildings still of a smaller height than they would become in later decades, sightseers could see all the way to Jackson Park to the south and out across Lake Michigan to watch boats. Many events in the area could be easily witnessed from the bridge, and the bridge could accommodate hundreds of people at a time. 
I will be posting pictures from postcards from my own personal collection on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages that will give you a much better understanding of the size of this structure. The May 19, 1894 Chicago Tribune included a column about one of the Lincoln Park commissioners being asked if the bridge would be allowed to stay as, quote, Governor Altgeld does not like the bridge, end quote. It went on to include a few snarky comments about Altgeld, including one referring to the bridge, quote, It is clear the days of that structure are numbered, for the park has an obedient board now, which does not venture to buy a monkey or plant a flower without consulting the governor and making sure the animal or the plant meets his approval. Stories about suicides started to appear in October of 1895 when a 40-year-old woman named Mabel Townsend was rescued from the lagoon after jumping off the bridge. She was taken to a nearby hospital and recovered from the fall. After that, stories started to appear more frequently about those using the bridge to take their own lives. A little more about the bridge. The railing was said to be between three and a half feet to four feet high. The water below was about 12 feet deep. It was easy to get over the rail, and even if you survived the fall from that height, you might not have the strength to keep from drowning. The name Suicide Bridge started being used in reference to the high bridge not long after. Even an eight-page newspaper out of Melvin, Illinois, in Ford County, about 106 miles south and slightly west of downtown Chicago, carried a story in July of 1897 about someone leaping to their death from the high bridge in Lincoln Park. Curious about Melvin, I looked it up. In 2010, Melvin had a population of 452. In August of 1897, the body of a 50-year-old piano maker who lived in what is now the 1900 block of North Sheffield Avenue, named August Tomazon, was found floating in the lagoon near the High Bridge. According to the article in the Chicago Chronicle newspaper, he had been despondent about not being able to find work. He was identified by his wife and daughter at the Poth Morgue, today at roughly 2000 North Halsted Avenue, where, after reading so many of these notices, appears to have been the go-to place for the area's dead. In November 9, 1897, Chicago Chronicle ran a story about two young boys who the day before had witnessed a well-dressed woman jump from the bridge, hit the water flat, and slide under the surface. They found a policeman who initially did not believe their story, but they persisted. The water was dragged for four hours before a body was found and taken to an undertaker on Halsted Street. After 24 hours, a couple identified the woman as their 19-year-old daughter, Maud Jennings, who lived with her father, mother, and brother near Rockwell and Fullerton, who decided to take her own life after an argument with her mother. The December 12, 1897 Chicago Chronicle newspaper had an extensive article about the high bridge titled New Bridge of Size, size spelled S-I-G-H-S. Steel Arch in Lincoln Park has a strange attraction for those who seek eternity. This is one of the few articles I found about preventing people from using the bridge to take their own lives. In it, the writer opines... 
Talk of prevention of suicides from the high bridge is idle speculation. The commissioners have not seriously considered the matter and are not liable to do so. They say they will do nothing which will interfere with the comfort or convenience of the sane people who wish to use the bridge, and the insane, heartbroken, and desperate must take their chances. As to building an extra high guardrail around the bridge, it is very doubtful if that will be done. It would detract much from the graceful lines of the structure, and that is enough to condemn the plan. It is impossible to prevent suicides, say the commissioners. If a man or woman seeks death, it will be found in one form or another. If you're wondering whether the local clergy of the day weighed in on the loss of life and the bridge's connection to it, in December of 1897, Rev. J.P. Toms of the Pilgrim Temple on North Levitt and North Avenue referenced the bridge in his sermon, saying... The bridge was built for the comfort and pleasure and safety of the public. Many of you have walked over it and admired its artistic features and its solidness, and yet persons have used the bridge for their own destruction. So it is that the gospel, which was ordained to be a savior of life, is used by many people as a savior of death unto death. You are horrified at the thought of that beautiful young girl throwing herself from that fatal bridge to a watery death. The country is shocked at the news of the gray-headed man who plunged himself upon the ice below amid the youth skating on the surface. Their physical suicide is horrible, though it is not to be compared with their spiritual suicide. But does not a fatality attach itself to that high bridge? Witness the lives that have been thrown away from it. It is surely rightly named the Fatal Bridge. Around the same time as the sermon, Lincoln Park commissioners were scheduled to have a meeting to discuss the high bridge and the alarming number of suicides and ways to safeguard the bridge. I found no record of that meeting or if there was a meeting that any effort was made to alter the bridge. In February of 1898, the Chicago Tribune included an article titled Visited by Ghosts, which went on to explain that two Lincoln Park police complained of, quote, night wanderers, end quote. Figures that glided across the snow and lurked in corners. Of course, the high bridge and those who took their lives in the area was mentioned as the likely cause of these apparitions. I did find one story of a 57-year-old man who in June of 1900 leapt over the railing in an attempt to take his own life, but hit the water and came back up, still alive, later telling police he regretted trying it. Not all activity related to the high bridge in Lincoln Park resulted in death. On June 5, 1894, the Inter-Ocean newspaper in Chicago ran a story stating that the day before, the Viking ship narrowly escaped disaster the afternoon before when the two-tall mast of the ship struck the high bridge. Rescuers nearby were able to guide the slightly damaged ship onto its destination. Viking ship? What? It's true. The Viking ship was built in Sandfjord, Norway in 1892-1893, a one-to-one copy of an ancient Viking ship called Gokstad, which was excavated in 1880. 
Approximately 78 feet long and 17 feet wide, the Viking ship sailed from Norway to Chicago in 1893 through the Erie Canal and the Great Lakes on its way to the World's Columbian Exposition, also known as the Chicago World's Fair. It later spent some time in New Orleans before coming back to Chicago, where it resided next to the Field Columbian Museum. In 1920, it was relocated to Lincoln Park, where it was not well cared for, eventually falling into disrepair. In 1978, a local group of Scandinavian Americans formed the Viking Ship Restoration Committee. Their goal was to get the ship placed inside the Museum of Science and Industry, an effort that failed. Fast forward to the mid-90s when the ship needed to be moved for an expansion at the Lincoln Park Zoo. Through the efforts of the American Scandinavian Council, the Viking ship was again moved, this time 40-plus miles west, eventually finding a home in Geneva, Illinois. The ship, as of this writing, is on display in Good Templar Park, where tours are available. I'll have links to that in the show's notes. Around 3 p.m. on May 22, 1898, a man named Paul Tustin arrived at the High Bridge with a group of friends. They walked to the center of the bridge, and Tustin calmly removed his shoes, coat, and trousers, revealing a suit of sky-blue tights. Tustin leapt over the railing backwards, turning a back somersault before hitting the water feet first with a splash. Fearing it was another suicide attempt, the crowds on the bridge screamed, Save him! And nearby police rushed to his aid. I don't want saving! yelled Tustin, still in the water. Don't you see I've got on blue tights? I love that. Tustin was arrested and taken to the Sheffield Avenue Police Court. Rumors that it was indeed another suicide attempt spread throughout the north side, bringing a new group of gawkers to the bridge. There were many water-related events staged in the lagoon organized by the Lincoln Park Boat Club, including an annual Labor Day regatta, which brought out throngs of watchers lined up along the banks of the lagoon and on the high bridge. I'm not sure what a one-half-mile four-shell event entails, but based on the newspaper recaps of the event, it sounds like it must have been pretty pretty exciting back in the day. The oarsmen of the Lincoln Park Boat Club held their 7th annual Venetian Night in August of 1913 in the Lincoln Park Lagoon near the High Bridge, featuring 200 elaborately decorated canoes and Japanese lanterns strung along the banks. 500 invited and 3,000 uninvited guests showed up to take in the scene. In October of 1913, the Daybook newspaper from here in Chicago had a blurb about Frida Abrahamson of 1713 Ashbury Avenue in Evanston, who was saved from a suicide attempt after leaping from the high bridge when the wide, old-timey skirt she was wearing, quote, opened like a parachute and she slowly descended to the water. While shooting a movie called Cousin Jim or The Lost Fraternity Pin in May of 1916, during a suspenseful scene on the high bridge, the stunt diver who was brought in 
to leap off the bridge refused to do so, saying, quote, it can't be done, end quote. He was to be paid $250, about $6,000 in today's money, for doing the jump, but lost his nerve. They tried filming the scene with a straw-filled dummy, but that floated to the surface. Two of the younger actors on the film volunteered to try it, much to the surprise of the director, and climbed to the girders below before jumping to the water successfully. One of the stranger newspaper articles I found related to the high bridge had to do with an effigy of Mexican General Pancho Villa found hanging from the bridge in July of 1916. Keep in mind this was during the Mexican Revolution. A sign pinned to the figure read, We are in favor of hanging Pancho Villa. Members of the Lincoln Park Boat Club were suspected. In July of 1918, the Chicago Athletic Association announced three Hawaiian swimmers of note, Duke Kahanamoku, Harold Kruger, and Clarence Lane, would perform in Chicago on July 12th, 13th, and 14th, with money collected going to war charity. The second day's show would be held in the lagoon just south of the High Bridge, as that body of water would accommodate 100 and 220-yard straightaways, with the water being deep enough to, quote, permit exhibitions of fancy and high diving. After more than 25 years of use, the bridge was eventually deemed unsafe, not because of the numerous suicides over the years, but because it was not well-maintained and became quite rusty, and was closed to the public in 1919. Sadly, even after the bridge was closed, but before it could be brought down, it still had its share of tragedy. In the September 28, 1919 Chicago Tribune, an article referred to the High Bridge, quote, which since Germany lost the war has remained barricaded, end quote, as having been utilized, their word, not mine, by an unknown man who scaled the barricade, walked to the center, and plummeted to the water below. A motorist traveling along the outer drive heard the splash. How quiet was Lakeshore Drive back then? And notified police. The poorly clad man was described as having a red mustache and wearing army boots. He also had a handkerchief with the initials J.R.H. His body was brought to an undertaking establishment at 2219 North Lincoln Avenue in Lincoln Park. In November of 1919, after the removal of the bridge had begun, Tony Todoros, one of the wreckers employed in raising the bridge, fell 40 feet into the water when a cement block on which he was standing gave way. Todoros was rescued and taken to Alexian Brothers Hospital, where he was expected to recover. After the Great Depression ended in 1933, one in four Americans was still out of work, one in three in the private sector, as part of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's second New Deal program to help the battered economy, the Works Progress Administration, also known as the WPA, was formed to carry out public works projects and give employment to those in need of a job. The WPA did significant work in transforming Lincoln Park between the years 1937 and 1941 as part of a general program for improving Chicago's lakefront. Lakeshore Drive was widened, a man-made beach was put in place, and the North Avenue Beach House was added. 
No official count could be found of the number of lives lost by those who jump from the high bridge of Lincoln Park. Estimates usually claim between 50 and 100 in the 25 years the bridge was in use, but there were certainly many more who contemplated the act or tried but were not successful in their goal. I do hope you've enjoyed today's episode, as dark as it may have been. As always, I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add, or if you have a different topic you think might be a good fit for a future episode of the Chicago History Podcast. I can be reached by email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I will be posting news articles, pictures, and ads from back in the day related to this episode on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages. Check it out and give us a follow, please. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. He can be found at Angel Eyes Art JKS on Instagram or via email at Angel Eyes Art jks at gmail.com if you would please take a moment and like subscribe and kindly review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a few friends it helps us get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of chicago get out and explore when possible learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe thanks for listening